Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a slasher whose trademark weapon is a knife and fork, a doctor who only knows how to give lobotomies, two gnomes in a trench coat trying to buy alcohol, and a chicken wearing lipstick. That's the wrong shade for this season. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. And Roxy, I've been judging that chicken ever since we've been down here. I know, right? I don't know what they think they're doing with that color, but uh, they're two seasons too late. So, Mikey, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So, what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, it was meatballs. Meatballs. Okay. Listen, normally it's... (laughs) (laughs) normally meatballs aren't scary but right before Uh i got drawn into the scary basement inexplicably and supernaturally uh i stopped at this restaurant that had like a teriyaki meatball plate and they were so good but they gave me so many meatballs okay i mean normally that would be a good thing right like free food i felt like i was staring into the mouth of madness (laughs) with all these meatballs i'm eating so many meatballs i'm like how many meatballs am i capable of How many meatballs is man capable of eating? Like, what is our limits to what would I do to finish these meatballs? I I just felt like I was driving myself crazy with all these meatballs. It was like, if you've ever seen the Walnut episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, where he's like, (laughs) Dick Van Dyke is spending the entire episode opening cabinets and there's walnuts coming out and pouring out. Really? Okay, I've never seen this episode before. Sounds quite zany. It's very funny. Um, Anyways. I got those meatballs boxed up and (laughs) came on down to the scary basement. Okay. Well, I mean, at least you're not throwing away food. So that's something. I would never throw away food. Roxy, what was scaring you this week? So, Mikey, how do you feel about bees? Not good. Cute little honey bumblebees? They sting you and then they die. They're uh, kamikaze pilots. It's horrifying. Kind of. I mean, they're not, they never do it because they want to. It's usually as a last resort. They're not like trying to just injure everything around them the way that wasps do but every bee i ever met has been coming for me okay got big rivalry with bees (laughs) (laughs) you know what they say if you wake up in the morning and you meet one asshole bumblebee they're an asshole bumblebee but if you meet nothing but asshole bumblebees you're the asshole Mm. yes that ancient proverb how could i forget that's me (laughs) that's me (laughs) uh so i came across a video of a man with a swarm of bees contained entirely on his person. And he is Ooh. wearing Wait, what? a tank top. Is a video, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, this guy, what he did is he's holding a queen bee in his closed fist. So all of the other bees, an entire colony of bees, are just chilling on his arm, buzzing around. And this man is just mm. casually walking down a crowded street while someone is filming him to be like, Hey, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Is terrifying. Like, even if the bees aren't hurting him, you know, and they're just, like, hanging out there, like, they're crawling all in, like, under his tank top, on the rest of his body. Like, it's, it's just, oh, I can't. Colony of bees on your arm squiggling around? No, I can't. Just imagining it. I would argue. Give me heebie-jeebies. Even scarier than that is this idea that, like, you could come up against somebody, like, if he decided he was, like, going to take your girl at the bar and you're like, all right, man, let's do this. And then he gets up and turns around and his arm is bees. Oh he just throws God. the queen at you. <laughs> and you are, it's like a grenade bomb you. of bees. Oh, my God. I don't like it. Absolutely horrifying. You know who kind of sounds like a bee when he walks around is the buzzing, whirling, gargling sound <laughs> coming out. Of the demon bot. Wait, he can gargle? That's scary. I guess he didn't yeah, brush his teeth. Yeah, gargling isn't quite the right word, is it? I mean, he brushed his teeth <laughs> the other day and flossed, so... um. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of the word <laughs> grinding, wrong. but you're right. Yeah, oh, okay. he does. He has been in the bathroom gargling. <laughs> He's trying to get his gargle game on. Perfect that. Anyways, here he is now, I assume. Am I still buzzing? Pratt, I just oiled that motor on Tuesday. Anyway, Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2009 film Triangle. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? Uh, Roxy, I did watch Triangle. Good, I did as well. Triangle. 
then you may keep your souls. For now. He just, uh... Blasting off? He did that thing that Batman does in The Dark Knight where he, like, pulls a lever on his utility belt and a balloon was sent off through the window and into the sky. And then a second later, a plane came by and zipped him out. And he went, whoop, he was gone. Is that how quick travel works in that game? <laughs> I'm just going to assume no, that's how the- every, every way to travel around the map works now. They do that in the Dark Knight movie, but you're right. I think in all the Batman video games also, that's how quick travel works. <laughs> you said the name of a Batman movie, I'm sure, but I heard Batman game when you said it. I think cause that's the most recent thing Batman related on you, you did. So my brain just went oh, there. Uh, that sounds right. <laughs> either way, it's fun. Um, so the movie we watched this week was Triangle from 2009. Mm-hmm. How about for Welcome. everybody listening up at the basement door we give them a plot summary mikey i'd love to all right main character jess is getting ready to take her autistic son tommy on a boat trip with her friend greg his deckhand victor and a few other friends sally downy and heather jess hears a ring at her doorbell as she's getting ready but when she answers no one is there she then heads to the boat without her son saying that he's in school now even though it's the weekend We then learn Greg's two married friends, Sally and Downey, brought Heather as a third, a girl that they want to hook up with their friend Greg, even though both Heather and Greg aren't interested in each other at all. Once they're at sea, a storm approaches, and the crew gets a distress call from a woman asking for help. Before they can do anything about it, the storm gets worse, and the boat capsizes. Heather is lost at sea, and the others are battered and stuck on the underside of the boat, which is the only part of it now above water. After some time, a large ocean liner passes them, and the group boards, hoping to find help. However, once they board it, they find it deserted. Yet there's a huge feast of fresh food in the dining room. Jess gets deja vu from being on the boat, but has no idea why. Then they find her keys in a section of the boat she hasn't been to yet. It just doesn't make any sense. Yet they're there. (laughs) They spot someone watching them. It doesn't make any sense. It truly doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, anyway. They spot someone watching them, and Victor runs after them. Jess and Greg find a note written in blood on a mirror that says, Go to theater. Greg thinks it's a prank, but Jess is scared by it. Jess returns to the dining room, and the food that was fresh moments ago is now rotten and decayed. Victor then shows up, covered in blood, and tries to kill Jess. However, she fights him off, and Victor dies of a pre-sustained head wound. Jess then hears gunfire in the theater and runs there, only to find Greg dead and Sally and Downey sitting by him. They say that Greg told them that Jess was the one who shot him. Jess is upset and confused, and before she can deal with the accusations, a masked person with a shotgun kills Downey and Sally, and they then chase Jess outside. After a scuffle, she disarms the shooter... And they say, you have to kill them. It's the only way to get home. And then Jess pushes them over the edge of the boat. As she watches the killer disappear into the waves, she then sees the very same boat she came in on, along with a copy of herself and the entire party. Not knowing what else to do, Jess hides while the copy party boards. She then tries to talk to Victor when he goes off on his own, but accidentally impales him on a wall hook. (laughs) dooming him to a slow death. This is the head wound he got earlier. She runs away saying, this isn't me, and finds a room with a whole bunch of shooters outfits and shotguns. She also finds an absolute pile of duplicates of her own locket with her son's photo in them. She also finds a ton of crumpled up copies of the same note that says, if they board, kill them. When she tests it against her own handwriting, it matches. Which real quick, she should just be able to look at it and see that it's her own handwriting. She knows what her handwriting you looks like. You would see. I guess it's the difference between, like, knowing something and actually, like, seeing it demonstrated in front of you mm-hmm. for, like, added effects. It was... Like, I don't want to believe it, but I have to do it to make sure, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. It was the movie telling us, like, we yeah. haven't seen her handwriting yet. Here's what her handwriting looks like. You know, like, you guys get it, Anyways. right? <laughs> you saw the locket, yeah, right? Was smart. that enough? <laughs> no. You're all smart. <laughs> Just takes a shotgun and wants to change the pattern. This time, she'll get it right. She does something different, only to learn that this time loop she's in has another layer, and she's still following the same pattern. She hasn't changed anything at all. 
A third version of herself kills Greg and Downey. Sally is wounded and makes a distress call we heard earlier. Jess won, our Jess, then follows Sally, intending to help her, but we see that Sally has made it to a pile of dozens upon dozens of her own corpse in various stages of decay. <laughs> this loop has been going on for quite a long time. Everyone except for Jess from the original party is now dead. After they have all died, the loop starts over, as now yet another copy of their boat has shown up with the survivors asking for help. Jess is now absolutely desperate and unsure how to continue. She dons the killer's outfit and mask, <laughs> grabs more shotgun shells, and then plays out the first loop we saw, only this time she's the killer who falls off the boat. Jess wakes up on the beach. It is somehow the same morning that she left for the trip. She goes to her home and watches from the window as the whole scene plays out from the beginning. She sees herself as a single mom at the end of her rope with an autistic son that is too difficult for her to manage. She loses her temper when he does something benign and smacks Tommy violently. The poor boy runs away and cowers in fear. Still angry at Tommy, this other Jess yells at him as she cleans up his mess, and it damages the cute outfit she had picked out for the outing. She yells that she just wanted to do one thing for herself, and Tommy has ruined it like he ruins everything. Our Jess, Jess 1, watches all this out the window, horrified by her past actions. Jess 1 rings the doorbell, and the current Jess is distracted by it. This was the doorbell that, remember, we saw at the beginning. Our Jess, Jess 1, uses this as a distraction to kill this version of herself brutally with a hammer. Tommy sees this and is horrified. Jess 1 promises that she'll change, hugs him close, and says don't worry about it, that things will be better now. She puts the dead Jess that she killed in a bag and loads <laughs> it in her trunk, planning to dump it somewhere. She then also takes an upset Tommy with her in the car so that they can stay together. As they're driving on the road, a seagull hits the window and dies, causing them to pull off the side of the road. As Jess disposes of the seagull on the beach, she sees there is a pile of seagull corpses. It is in this moment that Jess one realizes that she has not escaped the loop. Terrified, she gets back in the car and drives away. Tommy is upset by the blood on the windshield and cries, distracting Jess one long enough for her to veer out of her lane and smash into an oncoming truck. Tommy is killed in the crash, and onlookers find the dead body copy of Jess in the trunk. Jess one stands off to the side of the road, witnessing the aftermath of the accident. A taxi driver stands beside her. The man says it's too bad, and that you can't do anything to save the boy now. Jess One is obviously distraught by all this. The taxi man asks if she wants a ride to the harbor, and she accepts. Jess falls asleep on the ride, and when she wakes up, they've arrived. The taxi man says he'll leave the car running for her if she promises to return. Jess One does make that promise, but she can't even feign that she'll actually follow through on it. She gets out of the taxi and meets Victor and Greg at the harbor, starting the loop all over again. Roxy, that is triangle. That's triangle. That's triangle for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's a triangle. <laughs> what were you expecting? Can I just say this movie has probably the worst title of any movie we've ever watched. Yeah, the title definitely doesn't help it. It makes it hard to search. And also, mm -hmm. it doesn't really doesn't feel emblematic really. of the movie itself. Yeah. I, I think uh, maybe I, it only serves as a fake out for people going into the movie thinking it's about Haunted Bermuda Triangle. But then it's not that. That's the only thing That's it what does. I was thinking, too. Which is like useless. It feels That's like a waste of time. That's a misdirect you don't it's, need. It's hinting at Bermuda Triangle. There's also this aspect of like, it's not just a double loop. It's always a triple loop. There's yeah, like it's continuously layered. Yeah. But I yeah, true. I think the movie is definitely failed by its title. However, I think this movie is pretty cool. I think it's good. I think it's fun. It really is. It's it's a lot of fun. It's dealing with a lot of interesting things here. One one of the biggest mm -hmm. things of all, which I guess is this jumping too early into it. I guess we'll have plenty of other things to talk about too. Yeah, but just it? like that that horror of doing something that you can't get go back from, like doing something mm. so horrible, something that makes you hate yourself so much or just change your life so much that you uh can't see a way back. That's kind of like what this movie is all about. And I think it captures that kind of dread and anxiety and like anxious energy uh all the while making Absolutely. like a layered interesting kind of plot to be like all these different mm -hmm. versions of people running around it should be more confusing than it is but it tracks pretty well at least i thought so what do you yeah. think 
No, I agree. This movie has like a really good, like well put together. Um, it actually opens. The very first shot we see is Jess holding her son and just being like, I know you had a dream, buddy. It's But it's fine. It's fine. It's going to be okay. And I thought they were doing the thing that bothers me in movies and TV show where it opens up with like the most interesting moment and then says like three hours earlier. And then we like see how we get to that moment. I always hate that device. Uh-huh. But here it was a fake out. I thought they were doing that device, but they were like, no, this was a part of a loop we were seeing. <laughs> and then we were like, it implied that we were already in the loop. Like, yeah, this yeah. movie's loop is pretty on the nose uh, in terms of like easy to follow, easy to understand what's going on. A lot of cool details. Like I didn't even notice the feast part of it, but you're right. Like that was them indicating how much time has passed. That was, uh, there are a lot of really smart, interesting details that let you know what part of the loop we're in, where we're going, how many times this has happened. It's one of my favorite images in a movie when uh, our friend Sally is crawling away from Jess. Oh my God. And finds an upper deck in a ship full of her own corpses. Yeah, they're uh, like all in various stages of decay. So they've been there for a while. There's seagulls picking at them. And like, uh-huh. she doesn't even have the time or like brain capacity to be scared by that because she's just trying to mm-hmm. crawl away from Jess. So right. she doesn't even have the time to be like horrified by all these copies of herself. She's just trying to get away, which is like, man. Then also Jess's reaction when she just walks through there, she's like, oh, it'll be okay. It's okay. I'll ask for help. I'll, uh, I'll just do it again. I'll do it right. And then she, like, just dies in her arms being terrified of her mm-hmm. to be like, what's wrong with you? Or you're insane. Or get away from me. <laughs> in that moment, also, they do a thing where um, Jess is trying to explain to this Sally who is crawling through other Sallys to escape. She's like, you don't understand. There's a second one of me. And she's like, you're crazy. As she's crawling through <laughs> yeah. all the other versions of herself. <laughs> Or it's like, is she? Like, there's literal proof. How could you deny it after yeah. seeing this, of all things? I, I think you saying just now she was so scared and trying to get away that, like, it, that actually, like, kind of convinced me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can buy that. But in the moment, it was very funny that she's like, there is not multiple use. Yeah. As she's looking at multiple hers. <laughs> we get, so this movie has its emotional thing going on and its plot thing going on. And I think... I kind of don't mind it. Like, they're kind of separate things. They don't really tie. It's not about, like... I mean, I guess... Yeah, maybe they do. Jess says early on in the movie, she's like, raising a son like mine, it feels like every day is the same. It feels like you're just going through the motions over and over again. Um, So I am very sympathetic. But this idea of being able to look at yourself while you're behaving in a certain way is very interesting and pretty scary. Yeah, honestly. Especially because it's like... We're never at 100% like what we would be proud of ourselves like all the time, Mm -hmm. even if it's just as simple as like, I don't know, you're being lazier today than I wish you were. Like if I can look back Mm -hmm. on that day and be like, you could have done something different. And it's like, yeah, in hindsight, you can always say that. You can always think that about yourself. And like when you're confronted with it literally in this movie, (laughs) especially (laughs) when the thing that she has done is like that reprehensible. Yeah, it's a very interesting interrogation, like, both as a character and just thinking about it. Like, it makes you think, what would I do if I was in this position, too? Which I think is mm-hmm. a neat and little thing to think about. The The monster of this movie is ultimately Jess, right? It's, it's yep. Jess with a, a burlap sack over her head. But even that's kind of tied into this thematic exploration. Like, she tells Greg when she's, like, at the point where she knows she has to kill these people to reset the loop. She's just like, I don't want you to see me. Yeah, Uh, it's this idea of like putting this bit of distance between yourself and your actions that is ultimately monstrous. Like ultimately, we we aren't afforded that luxury. All of these things that we do are who we are. And Jess is like fighting against that so thoroughly throughout the entire movie. She's like, no, that's not me. I'm different. I'm separate. (laughs) And she's not. She's a person. She's a person who did all these things. And she's probably never. This movie is ultimately a tragedy because she's never going to see that. She's yeah. going to get a concussion. And we were going to we were going to talk about this a little bit. The ending, I read that as her getting in a car accident and getting a concussion, which is why her memory was lapsing. So she was alive the whole time and just going through loop after loop. Is that what you were getting? Um, so I got something completely different. I think a lot of it hinges on the taxi guy himself. He feels like a ferryman. He feels like he is outside of mm. this loop, that he has some omnipotence to it, that he is ferrying her to her destination so she can do it again, to be like... Because he asks if she wants to go, then asks if she'll come back. And he also says, like, you can't save the boy no matter how many times you try. 
because, like, they're all already dead. She's just interrogating herself in her own personal hell because she wants to be able to save him. Mm. Because she feels like she is at fault. So I, I feel like if she was able to accept it and be like, no, I'm done. Like, okay, don't take me to the harbor. I think he would take her off to whichever afterlife she's going to go to or whatever that might be. But because she can't I... accept it, because she's doubling down on it to want hmm. to do it over, he's like, okay, I'll bring you back. And then... I'll bring you to the harbor. And then he's like, I'll keep the motor running, which like is a crazy thing to think of if he is not some sort of am- omnipotent person. Additionally, mm-hmm. to be like, okay, if she's going to the harbor, she's going to get on a boat and like go somewhere, right? It's not like she's going to run in to do an errand at the harbor and come right back to your cab. <laughs> so saying like, I'll leave the engine running. Um, it's like for five hours or more. Like what? <laughs> okay. Um, Damn. Roxy, I kind of like that interpretation. I dig that. Was it the was the taxi man the same guy who told her you can't there's nothing you can do, you can't save the boy? Yeah, he said that in that same scene where we see her looking at her double being found and her son's body on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that interpretation at all. Yeah, so like normally I think that functions. Normally if a story has a twist where it's like, oh, they were dead all along, or oh, it was just a dream, to be like this it feels like it invalidates the journey you went on to be like it doesn't matter. But I think the way that they mm-hmm. do it here, I feel like it does matter, even though, in my opinion, it's revealed that she was dead the whole time, and she is just going to mm-hmm. keep doing it again and again and again. I, I almost, it, in trying to suss out what the difference is, because I tend to get frustrated with, like, it was all a dream, it didn't matter kind of stories, too. Yeah. I almost could see it, like, the way this movie does, it kind of splits the difference. Like, you could see this as a tangible, like, she is still alive, she had the concussions, she kept going, but... It almost feels like this specific ferryman character, I I don't know that like, I, I like him kind of serving that role metaphorically, if not literally, like, and therefore you kind of get both. You get a story that is functionally, um, uh, has stakes and has a, a logic and, and specific beats to it. But then you kind of get this thematic wrap up of just like, because you're, you're right, whether it literally is purgatory or is her just being stuck in the loop for forever. This is the afterlife for her. She is she has gone through her life. She is unable to accept what she's done. And so she's going to experience this horrible day over and over and over again. It's yeah. both. Yeah. Which I really like that it can be interpreted that way. And I think it kind of speaks to the strengths of the theming of the movie, too. That, like, you can still mm-hmm. take away what it's trying to give you, even if there's different interpretations of other parts of it. Right. I love a movie that can do two things at once. Um, this is a... a I guess technically an example, I don't love it, but like Inception is both, it was all a dream and it wasn't a dream. The way that movie kind of ends is saying like, it doesn't matter. It can be both. Both things are true. And I sort of dig that when a movie can just like really confidently have uh, uh, multiple interpretations and everyone is kind of right. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I can't begin to tell you how horrified I was 15 minutes into this movie when all of our friends died. (laughs) I was like, well, what's the rest of this oh, movie? Yep, what are we uh-huh. doing here? <laughs> yep. Especially when it's like weird stuff is happening right from the outset, like pretty quickly with like the boat being right. completely abandoned and like the, you did see the shadow of somebody up there. So there is somebody mm-hmm. on the boat. And then, yeah, when uh, Victor is trying to like he goes away and then the next time you see him, he is just trying to kill Jess and you're like, what the fuck happened? And then, yeah, it just dominoes mm-hmm. and gets even more insane from there. And uh, this movie is like a perfect example of what I always say that I like most in these kind of stories. It's like, we know exactly as much as our Jess knows. Mm -hmm. Yep. To the point where like, I would argue she, you know, she has the concussion. The opening is kind of jarring because she is functionally having her chunks of her memory erased as we go. So we're getting like a bunch of shots that seem like they don't make sense. And then we kind of don't know what's going on with her. But like, once we get on the ship, we are learning the rules of the ship at the exact same time as she is, which I would argue connects us to her. It makes us like her and put ourselves in her more clearly throughout. Yeah. The like you definitely empathize with her, especially because when she initially pushes over the assailant, her copy, she can't really mm-hmm. hear what it's saying, which it's saying like, kill the others. It's the only way to get home. It's the only way to save yeah. our son. She isn't able to like hear that the first time through. So it isn't Mm -hmm. until she gets that later that she's like, okay, well, this is the only way to save everybody. And most importantly, to get what I want, which is to save my son. 
And at first you don't really get, like, what that means, because it's just, like, just to get back to him, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. assumedly what you would think until we get the reveal that he died. Like, you don't even mm-hmm. know he's dead until it happens in that moment to be like, oh, this was the thing that she had been mm-hmm. trying to redo this whole time. She just didn't know it until now, until this right. third loop. <laughs> A minimum of three loops before things start to click in this movie. Yep. The one other thing that I truly love in this movie that was, like, so insane, and I think I got it at the right point, when Jess, for the very first time, walks into the theater and finds Greg dead, and Sally and Sally's husband are there, Sally says to her, God, you're a bitch. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing to say to somebody who just shot your friend. I didn't even remember that. Bitch. That is, like, what a thing to say. Yeah, like, Sally hates her from the outset because, like... They have it set Uh up from dialogue that Greg goes to the diner that Jess works at. And so they see each other Uh regularly. And he talks about, like, he wasn't going in there just to see her until the day that he went in there to ask her out, like, on the this date, essentially, to go on this boat outing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's relatively low pressure because it's, like, with a group of people. And he was like, you can take your son. You know, like, they're expecting the son to be here for this. Great first date. Great first date. Yeah, it's really not that bad. Especially because it's, like... They're just trying to get to it's know each other. It's a lot to bring your, to bring all your friends. I think like just him and her and the son would be, well, even the son would be a tough first date. The thing is too, like. I think like, they needed to hang out a couple times more. Now that I'm, I'm talking myself out of this. Well, it the would thing be cool is they've seen each other a lot, like in the diner. You get the sense mm. that like they know each other pretty well from the diner. Like they see each other m- maybe daily, even if he's going in there to eat every day. Mm. But he, he basically said like, I'm not coming in there every day to see you. Not in the sense of, like, I'm not only going there to, like, stalk you or something. Like, I like eating the food there. And right. also, you were there. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a place I like to go. Um, but uh, his married friends, apparently it's a thing that they do when they are invited over. They will just bring a third girl that they want him to maybe date. <laughs> and so, like, Sally already hates Jess because she's like, I found a girl to set you up with. Because, like, her and mm-hmm. Greg have been friends for a long time. They might have even been friends before her husband was friends with him. I'm not sure if they say that or not. But it's like, she really wants to be the one to hook him up with somebody for some reason. Right. And then the fact she that he invited Jess, he invited Jess, a girl that he likes, and then she's like, hates that, that he did that for himself. <laughs> when I thought her gripe was that he was single and she was trying to help him with that. He's like, I'm working on it at my own pace. Like, back off. <laughs> I'm handling it. Which is she nice wants that, that like, like maid of honor designation. She wants to be the one at the wedding who brought them together, yeah, so that all of her friends can be adoring. And look, this is kind of your weekend too. Yeah, it's Aww. that weird thing to like put yourself in that situation. And be like, I'm the matchmaker. I knew best. Yeah, I knew better than you guys did that you would be good together. Like, look at how smart and omnipotent I am. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Heather is chill with it. She's like saying whatever to Sally, then she goes over to Greg and she's like, just so you know, I'm not interested in you. It's fine. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So, like, she's chill. She's just here for a boat trip. (laughs) That character can does not function in the movie. Like, she is superfluous as all I mean, yeah, but, like, she's there for, like, what, the first ten minutes, and then she gets sucked out Mm -hmm. of the boat when it capsizes, and we never see her again. Um, I kind of like her as a red herring. Like, I was kind of thinking, like, did Heather make it on the boat? Is she the one running around? Yeah, because they were talking about that, It's like a nice red herring, but this movie, I don't know how you felt. By the end of it, I was like, all right, we get it. It's a loop. (laughs) Like, let's move it along. I did start to feel like it was a little long in the tooth. And yeah, I I think they went out of their way to like describe, I think, too many steps of it. Right. In a way where it's probably like, what if some people don't get it? Or what if somebody brings up this thing that we didn't show them? Which like, I Mm -hmm. can understand that inclination to be like, you want to make sure everybody gets it. And you want to make sure everything is like, tightened up so there's like a mm-hmm. reason for this thing to happen because you're going to call back to it later but i think they easily could have cut a lot of that um right. there is just yeah, a lot of her running up and down on the decks to and from seeing the same thing over and over again which like <laughs> would be fine <laughs> if it was the only time you did but like it's multiple different times and because they have to establish three different loops i can see how they would be really worried that people would be confused or not get it so they were kind of overdoing it I think just to make sure they didn't confuse the audience, which I get. 
Um, but I think they could trust people is, a bit more to not overdo it so much. This movie is running up and down the decks. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh-huh. so much running up and down to different decks. God, and she's wearing like wedge sandals for so much of it too. Oh, I tough. I just remember thinking like, oh my god, how is she running in that? That would be like a nightmare scenario. And she looks like fine when she's running in it too. Like if that were me, mm-hmm. I'd just be falling all over the place or would not look as elegant. That's for sure. If I had to run around and it's wedges absolutely that my like. It's why I will never. I'll never wear a sandal. I will never wear an open-toed shoe. I need to be ready to run if a killer approaches. Yeah. I will never um I will never be I don't like being barefoot. It makes me uncomfortable to be barefoot. Really? <laughs> Just because like, well, what if I have to fight a monster? <laughs> what if I get drawn away? Uh You always got to wear uh, socks everywhere, Mikey. You always got to wear God, I do I do wear socks almost everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I do too, honestly though. Just because like I get really cold very easily. But even if I didn't, Mm. I think I'd still wear socks anywhere. Something about having like a barrier between your foot and the ground just feels like a good thing to do, even if it's like in your own place. Feels like the move. What if you step on a slime? You might. What if you step on a slime? What if you step on the thing from the movie The Thing and it corrupts you? You'll be glad you're wearing a sock then. I'll tell you that much, barefoot friends. Get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, that's one extra uh, barrier where if it tries to grab you, then it grabs the sock and you can get out of there. So it's a <laughs> it's a diversionary tactic. <laughs> so we talked a bit about the theme of this movie, Mikey, but you want to double down on the big idea of the movie. Let's talk about it. What for you was yeah, the big I, idea of the movie Triangle? I think that quite literally the idea is looking at yourself. <laughs> like we get so many hints of it throughout this movie of her looking at the burlap sack version of herself. And then even when she becomes the burlap sack version of herself, she's like, don't look at me. Don't look at who I, who is doing this. That's why I'm putting the burlap sack, burlap sack on my face in the first place. And it's a truly upsetting moment when she looks in the window and sees herself hitting her son. Like this movie does a really good job of like setting you up to think she's a great mother, that she loves yeah. her son more than anything. And then Especially because the other that, characters like, are reiterating that too. Right. Yeah. They're like, you must love your son so much. You won't shut up about him. Which is the funny thing, too, because like she doesn't. One of the friends. Exactly. The the wife who doesn't like her, which I feel like Heather is just there to set up the fact that Heather, that Sally doesn't like hmm. uh, Jess. So she's more of like a device to show what Sally is like than to be an actual character. Um, mm-hmm. But she's like saying that. to her husband, like, yeah, she's like, like some people who have kids, all they ever talk about is their kid. And right. Jess is like that. And then the husband is like, what? I've literally never heard her talk about her son before. <laughs> she's like, well, Yeah, I guess she's whatever. talking about him that day. Yeah, yeah just because like, you're right. I totally there. missed that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great deal. De- or, that's a great detail that like sets us up for this reveal that like, oh, she's a bad mom and she has been unable to face it. So really yeah. her like ultimate, her horrific moment of this movie is looking at herself with a burlap sap shooting her friends and then looking at herself hurting her son and realizing like finally internalizing like i am not the person i thought i was yeah and like i was taking all of this for granted and didn't realize it which you i'm not going to defend what she did but you do kind of get the sense that she is a single mom at the end of her rope where like i think her kid is seven so like dealing with an autistic child i do not have any firsthand knowledge of this but i know it is supposed to be far harder than dealing with a kid who doesn't have autism Mm mm-hmm let alone doing that, like, it would be hard enough to parent a, a kid without autism on your own, let alone right. let alone uh, one who does have it. So, like, she is a single parent. She's a single earner. It, I kind of get the sense that maybe she's not even getting alimony payments or something, possibly. Who knows? Or not alimony is the wrong word for that. Child support is the word for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, alimony so is, she's, listen, I've never understood alimony. Is that just you get divorced and one of you gets to make money off of it? I think so. That's what cool. I always interpreted That's what I want. it to be. I want an alimony. There you go. Without being married. <laughs> you you got to marry quick a and get myself sugar an alimony. mama. Marry yep. sugar mama, I Mikey. Will. There you go. And then get divorced. Okay. <laughs> it's the plan. Um, what was I talking about? Sugar mamas. Sugar mamas. Is your, are, are you saying the big idea of the movie is the same thing? Looking at yourself? Yeah, basically. And also just kind of like. We don't know how many times she has hit him before. We don't know if this is the first time. Her reaction to it makes it seem like it is not because she's not like. Yeah, it seems like it's not. Yeah. 
um, where it's just like she gets so frustrated and fed up. She probably wasn't always this way, but eventually, at some point, she turned to become this person that she couldn't stand. Um, And you hear her yelling like, you know, I just want to do one thing for myself, and you can't even let me have that. You just ruin everything. And then, like, her realization that, like, no, he really was my whole world. He really is the thing that I love the most. It's just I... I was under so much pressure and I turned out to not be the kind of person I wanted to be. I turned right. out to not be yeah. the person I thought I was, maybe. That's upsetting. And then, yeah, seeing that portrayed. And then after she sees that, she literally grabs a fucking hammer and then gets to beat herself to death, the version of herself yeah. that slapped her son. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, that's to- why she's like trapped in this loop forever because... She's still putting distance between herself and this person. Yeah, she's where it still seemed, saying yeah. like, she's not this is not it. me. This is my antagonist. Yeah, which is like, somebody else. When she accidentally kills Victor by like pushing him against that hook that's in the wall, which by yes. the way is also just yep. a very stupid way to kill someone. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking about bringing that up. I, I'm really bothered by like these kind of specific kills in movies where. It was just sort of an accident and just had to, like, everything had to happen exactly right for this moment to happen. Yeah. Um, And also, like, even if he, like, it didn't seem like she pushed him hard enough for that to even happen. Right. Because it is a hook on the wall that is maybe three inches long or something, but has a dull tip. He is much taller than her, much stronger than her. And he is trying not to push her away, but she's being very aggressive towards him and does she grab his arms i think and kind of pushes him but you wouldn't yeah that push doesn't feel like it would have driven a dull three inch metal spike all the way into his brain but that's what it does yeah, i wasn't buying it god yep. bless it yeah um so that that accidental death what were we talking about before that oh <sighs> who knows <laughs> Shoot. We should go on. <laughs> yeah, I got so distracted by that stupid death. Um, everything else is usually pretty, it is treated with like purpose, I'd say, for why things happen. Mm-hmm. There isn't really any other accidental thing like that, aside from, I suppose, the crash at the end and like the seagull and stuff. Like the seagull smacking into the windshield and then the blood driving the kid crazy where it distracts her. Mm-hmm. Like that is kind of happenstance, I suppose, too, which is the inciting incident. So, Mikey, we have a rating system down here in the scary basement. The Mm -hmm. Severed Thumbs rating system. (laughs) We got a big old (laughs) basket of thumbs. Mm -hmm. So, out of five, how many thumbs would you give this movie? I'm giving it three and a half thumbs up. Okay. Uh, I just feel like the, the beginning is a little plotting. But by the end, we're having fun. It's This is a movie that, like, feels like... The rock is rolling downhill. Like, I I didn't love the beginning. I felt it was kind of lame. <laughs> it took a while to get going. Once mm-hmm. it gets going. I love a movie that gets time travel correct. Everything that happens, happens. We're not fucking around. We're not being back to the future. We're not, uh, some people are disappearing because they almost weren't conceived. No, shut up. <laughs> Things that happened, that happened. We're moving backwards. <laughs> How many thumbs up are you giving it? Uh, so I give it a three. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the themes it's dealing with are very good, and I think it hits it pretty well. But say some of the execution of this movie, we didn't go into it a whole lot, but like the CGI when it's there is like very dated and very noticeable. Mm. And they've yep. only got like basically one location, so a lot of it can feel very budget. But I think mm. they did the best with what they had, so they're they're good at masking it most of the time. But like here and there, I could kind of tell. So I'd say it's a little bit lower for me just on presentation, but it got like all of the theming and writing parts right. So it's a I three get that right. for yeah. me. Stylistically great, or stylistically a couple hiccups rather. Writing wise, yeah. performance wise, I would say great. Yeah, performance wise was also very good too. Great. Yeah, yeah. Roxy, I got a question for you. You got a question for me? What is it? Mm-hmm. Say you're stuck in a time loop. And okay. you're running into yourself. It's going to be crazy. What are you going to say to yourself to let you know that you're in a time loop situation? Me personally, I might not put on a bag and go murder all my friends. But that's me. What would you do? <laughs> well, I would think that by the virtue of there being a second version of myself to talk to myself, that would convince me time travel is real. 
That's all you need. Uh, yeah, honestly. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt if she came with some winning lottery numbers. Maybe uh, Ooh, okay. some horse race info or car race or whatever people place bets on. Uh, <laughs> slots. So if you're going ponies. back in time, you're like pulling up your phone. You're checking today's winning lottery oh, yeah. numbers. Yeah. Got it. That's smart. But uh, yeah, so I'd I say would, that would go a long way towards convincing me that time travel's real. What about yeah, you? You just need a cash payout. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't believe anybody for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I would set up, I, I have it set up with myself just in the back of my head. Okay. Um, a secret safe word that like, oh. if I see a version of myself, I'll say the safe word. Okay. Totally what's the safe, safe word? Totally, totally get it. Totally understand. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, Okay. We don't get to know. I guess because, like, villains who might be making uh, your villainous, like, version of you with a twirling mustache from a different timeline might hear it and uh, try to use it for evil. So he might listen, Roxy, he could buy you. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) You're the type. So we made a bet last week, Mikey. Mm -hmm. And the bet was, does the fourth build actor in the end credits, survive. Uh, and the fourth build actor was Greg. So, Greg, Mikey, you said... buddy who brought her on to the boat. I said, no, they're not going to survive. Yeah, and I said, yes. The answer is, we're not sure. Shrug? <laughs> <laughs> so, he's Schrodinger's Greg. We're not sure if he's alive or not. Mm-hmm. Characters died multiple times, but then they came back. So, I'd say it's a tie. Because we cannot yeah. be I, sure. I think Ty is right. Yeah, I think that's the only I, thing I was, that is fair or correct. I just think that since he was the first one to die and he is so trusting of Jess, like, it feels to me like he is the one most likely to die in all realities. But also, technically at the end of the movie, he is alive. So, yeah, a tie is right. A tie is right. Okay. That's going to bring yep. the total score, Roxy, to Roxy with 32, Mikey with 26, tie with four. Ooh, okay, we got four ties. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mikey, this has been bothering me all episode. You've had this plate of meatballs just, like, sitting here. What do you want to do with them? I can throw them out, or... No, 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 enough time's gone by that I'm ready to finish them. Roxy, pass me them meatballs. Mikey, stop! Don't finish those meatballs! Whoa, Mikey? Is that another Mikey? Yeah, I'm another Mikey. This is a time loop, like in the movie Triangle. Oh, we just watched that. Yeah, dude, I know. I'm you from, like, two days in the future. Once you finish those meatballs, the time loop starts again. So you already went through this loop once before. Right. I finished the meatballs, my stomach burst from too many meatballs, I go to the hospital, get stitched up, and then I come back here only to find myself, again, about to eat those meatballs. Okay, I hear you, but... I'm not going to waste these meatballs. Yeah, dude, I know. That's what I said to my other Mikey. And he warned me that my stomach would burst, but I didn't listen. You have to be the Mikey who breaks the loop. I understand. I'll stop. You just ate another meatball. Yeah, they're good meatballs. I could eat the meatballs for you. I haven't had lunch yet, and you've been talking them up an awful lot. No, you don't under... It's eating the meatballs that starts the time loop over. Are they like magic meatballs or something? I don't know, Roxy. In the movie, are they magic friends? Look, sometimes destroying an entire group of something starts a time loop. Hey, I get it. Mm. These meatballs are dangerous. Mm -hmm. You just ate the last meatball. Uh Uh-huh. He looks fine. I thought you said his stomach would explode if he finished those meatballs. Well, uh... You're not lying about being in the time loop, are you? Wait a minute. Your face. Now that I give you a second look, are you wearing a mask? Oh, God, my face. Roxy, how could you do this to me? To us? Oh, okay. It's not you from the future. It's a robot copy of you. All right. You got me. I am a robot that looks like Mikey, and I tried to take the place of the real Mikey. Dude, why would you try and take my place? I don't know, man. I just look like you. It's just how I was made. It's not like I can take the place of, like, Joe Biden. 
what's the end game here? Like, what were you going to do with the original Mikey? Well, I was going to kill him just by, you know, ripping his stomach open. Of course, of course. To make it look like it burst from meatballs. Yeah, dude, from meatballs. That's what I was inferring. Way to go. You got it. Look, I'm just, I'm going to get out of here. Hey, man, don't be so hard on yourself. You took a big swing and you missed. No harm, no foul. Well, thanks, man. Tell you what, I'll see you next time I try to kill you and take your place. Hey, buddy, we're in the scary basement. Get in line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This place is full of monsters. You know what, Roxy? Look at that. Out with one robot, in with another. Here comes the demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2009 film Triangle. Sorry, only joking. You have successfully reviewed Triangle. For next week, you must watch the 2007 film 30 Days of Night. All right, Mikey. So next week we got 30 Days of Night. Little vampire action, right? Yeah, vampire in my home state. Vampires in Alaska, Mikey. Alaskan vampires. Uh huh. Chill. They're more icy <laughs> than normal vampires. Chili what a great is right. Idea. It's 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 because there's like a month long night in Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, up like north, the sun doesn't come out. Yeah, it, it'll be like the opposite, where you will get like no sun going down and also no sun going up, depending on whether it mm. is the height of summer or the height of winter. Uh, the farther Jesus up north you go, Christ. the more that becomes a thing. <laughs> what an insane and awesome idea to set there that's great okay yeah i think it takes place in Nome, also where like i'm from anchorage which is much further south and even then we will have days like during the summer where you get maybe two days of sort of darker light (laughs) not Mm. even technically night and uh yeah the reverse in the winter where you barely get any light that's so cool so perfect tactic for vampires honestly so i'm excited to see it So, Mikey, how about we make a bet for 30 Days of Night? So how about the timestamp for the first kill in the movie? Mm, Okay, I feel like it's going to come early. I'm going to come pretty early. I'll say... Okay. You know what? I'm going to adjust it even now. I'm going to say five minutes. Five minutes in. Okay. Five minutes in. Someone's going to get killed, probably, by a vampire. (laughs) It better be if there's, like, a random werewolf Mm. or something. That would really throw me for a loop. Just comes in, kills a guy, and then leaves the movie. Jeffrey Dahmer is in 30 Days of Night doing a separate thing. (laughs) Vampires and serial killers, what what? So I'm going to guess then 20 minutes. Uh, So much further in. We'll see see who's who's closest next week. Bet's locked in. All right. So how about we talk about what's making us happy? Mikey, what is making you happy this week? I have found myself a little card game, Roxy, called Marvel Snap. Oh, okay. It's free to play. It's so much fun. It means the world to me <laughs> to be playing this game. <laughs> you build a deck of Marvel heroes, and they've all got clever little power distributions and uh, costs, so you can only play so many cards per turn. Okay. And they all like kind of mirror the way... The Marvel heroes work like Nightcrawler, who, as we know from Marvel Comics, can teleport. He can be played on one location and teleport to another. Like they found really clever ways to integrate Marvel superhero powers into them. It's a free to play game. It has really wired itself into my brain. I have already deleted it from my phone once because I was like, I'm playing this too much. And then a couple days later, I was like, I'm going to download this again (laughs) and start over. And I'm almost back to where I was. Oh, you lost all of your data, so you didn't, like, save or back up your data before you deleted it. No, because I wanted it out of my life, and it came back. Yep. Okay, well, Mikey, maybe it's your forever (sighs) mobile game. It's the one for you. Unfortunately, I think it is. (laughs) Roxy, what's making you happy? The thing that is making me happy this week is beluga whales. Uh, Not just because, like, whales are cool in general, but did you know that beluga whales play fetch with humans? No, what? Why do they do that? Like, literally, there's a video I saw today uh, that we will have in the show <laughs> notes, which is, like, two dudes on a boat with, like, a, I'm, what I'm assuming is maybe, like, a Nerf football of some kind, one that is, like, buoyant uh, in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they will throw it to this beluga whale that is going alongside their boat, and the beluga whale will, like, pick it up in its mouth and bring it back to them so they can throw it again and just play fetch mm-hmm. together. Just whales being friends with humans, having a fun time, and I thought that was extremely cute, and I love it when we get to see animals being friends with people, especially mm-hmm. out in the wild, because they would have no reason to do that. It's not like they're dependent on a food source or something to like you. Mm. It just wanted to hang out and have a fun time. And uh, I love that yeah. for both humans and beluga whales. Very cute. <laughs> it's it's the gorilla making friends with a kitten, except we're the kitten. Yep. Uh-huh. Tiny little humans be a kitten. <laughs> be a kitten that's friends with a gorilla specifically. <laughs> I'd be unstoppable. The Coco the gorilla? Truly, like, what about that matchup? They're, what, what are they going to do? <laughs> they could take over the world if they wanted, but they just kind of want to chill and be friends. If you could be that. In Marvel Snap... <laughs> If you play a kitten card, it automatically summons a gorilla card <laughs> to your side of the field. <laughs> Hell yeah. One of the best cards in the game. <laughs> I believe it. That sounds very real. <laughs> so it's time for Haunted Plugs. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp. I am on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. Playing video games. And I am on Twitter at Red Mage Roxy, and on Twitch also as Red Mage Roxy. I stream three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Also, make sure to give us five stars on iTunes or whatever your listening vehicle of choice is. And since this is a horror podcast, make sure that they're five scary stars. Or leave a review, share, and scare the podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. See you next week. Mm-hmm.